Welcome to Rafa International and this particular teaching on to walk in veracity. To walk in veracity, which is parenthetically truth. I believe you're going to be very, very happy that you searched out this particular teaching because it contains so much truth and so much that is vital for the church today. In John chapter 18, as we look at the title of the message and the subject of it, to walk in veracity, parenthetically truth. In John chapter 18, Jesus is before Pilate being uh, vetted. Now, this is a term that we have heard more and more in the last many few many months, uh, being vetted, and we understand the basic process of it because of the immigration problem that we're facing here. But we do hear it quite a bit. And Pilate is asking Jesus, are, it's embedded in this questioning, really, are you really true? Are you really true? And Jesus replies to him, For this cause came I into the world, to bear witness. And bear witness there means to uh, to verify the record or fulfill the record, to have a good report. So for this cause came I into the world to bear witness unto the truth. And he uses the word uh, or the, the article the truth. And we're going to see as we develop this, I'm probably going to stress this point more and more, that when Jesus uses the, the article the truth, it means the one and supreme truth. There's none that can be equal to it or in, certainly nothing higher. So he's, he's come to bear witness unto the truth. And he goes on to say, everyone that is of the truth, the, the only truth, heareth my voice. And in, in saying, he who hears the truth, Pilate makes a very heartbreaking statement. And he, he makes the statement that what is truth? What is truth? I can hear the despair of the man's heart because in the political arena of that day and, and certainly this day, that's a valid question. It, in Pilate, it's showing the soul unregenerated in man, operating in man, from Adam until the in, endless age begins. People have to ask that same question of themselves and basically in, the, in every other place. What is truth? Whom can you believe today to tell you the truth? When we get right down into our lives and what we face, can you believe national leaders? They'll lie to you. They lie to each other. They have hidden truth. Can you believe U.S. politicians? Certainly not. It's almost required that a a politician, once they reach any type of a stature at all and position at all, lying is, is a way of life to them. You can't believe them. And we just passed a number of few years when lying seemed to be the order of the day. And they have multitudes of lawyers to tell you what the person really meant after the fact. So you, you can't take a political statement and base anything upon it because it's founded on a lie. In business, can you, can you believe any businesses? Not really. 
because frankly, most businesses are run by unsaved people. And we're going to develop that thought shortly. So you can't believe businesses. They, they bait and switch. You know, they, uh, they promise you certain things and then you don't get that. If you try to do business enterprises, used to a shake of the hand was good. And now you have to have uh, an ironclad contract. And even then you can't believe that it's going to be unbreakable. Do you have friends that you feel that you can believe to tell you the truth? If you do, you're very, very fortunate because most people today can't uh, find friends who will be truthful with them. It starts even getting more and more personal when we look at who can you believe in your own family. And when I was a boy, the family unit was very, very strong. And you could believe just about everything that you heard, certainly from the mother and the father. Today, that's not anywhere near truth. Families are, are dysfunctional. There's alienation between the parents and the alienation between the parents and the children. You can't believe your parents to tell you the truth. In many cases, that parents have trouble believing their children. Their children lie. And there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I hate to make this last statement, but even a place where you can't find people to believe, there's a lot of that even in the pulpits. How many ministers, once you come to a certain amount of understanding of what God requires of us and what he requires in his word, and you, then you hear what the pulpit has to say about it, you find out that, uh, that either they're ignorant or they're willfully ignorant or they lie or they're liars or they're not even a, a, a pastor or a minister at all. That's a sad charge, and I hate to make that charge against the pulpit. God knows I do, but it's true. Once you start reaching maturity, and those of you who are uh, searching this tape, I believe that you would have to have a certain amount of Christian maturity to even look into this particular tape. So, you know, it, it's, it's difficult finding someone in, in whom you can believe in nowadays. Jesus picks up the... Uh, Foundation for us in John 14, verse 6. He's Here he's teaching his disciples, although I'm sure that there are some unsafe people standing by in the wings. And there in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this statement, Jesus uses the word I am. That is as close as we can get to who God is. He picked that up from the Old Testament, brought it through the Old Testament into his present ministry of his incarnation where he's speaking this, and we'll know it into the future. That's as close as we can get it today. That's, that's the biblical ultimate name for God. That's the, one, the true name for God, although he has other names that show his nature to him. But I am, Jesus says, I am the way. And again, he uses the article the. It means road. Now, they would have understood in the first century the path as a way. That's what they would have called that. But we would just substitute the word road for it. You could also substitute your life journey for it. He, he says, I am the way. That means the process. There's a process in getting in God and continuing and growing in God. So this way has, is a processional word. And it's also a supply word. It's a road. It's a, it's a, a, a process. And it's also embedded in that. The way means that he's going to furnish 
the supplies as you go along that route. And he says, I am the truth. Again, using the article the. This is a foundational truth. It has the qualities of the original embedded in the, in the Greek of it. I am the truth. In other words, there is no other truth that is equal to and certainly not in elevation above me. There, it, you, it's just there. He's saying, I am the ultimate in truth. And in John chapter 10, again, Jesus says this as a word of comfort. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Oh, what a, what a wonderful passage of security for us. Now, let me give you a provocative word, uh, thought here that what we've been talking about, only a believer, only a born again person, only a redeemed person through Jesus Christ has the capability to voice and function in the truth. Let me say that again. That's vitally important that you get that. It's a provocative word, I understand, but it's only a believer, regenerated person, a saved person, born-again person, in through Jesus Christ, has the capability to voice and function in this kind of a truth. Unsaved people, in other words, unsaved people cannot function in truth. They just can't do it. They are incapable of it. Since the fall of Adam, those born out of his lineage and out of his seed, even up to our generation today and all the generation between Adam and, uh, and uh, we, uh, those unsaved people in all those generations were incapable of telling the truth. So what, does that, what conclusion does that give you? When you deal in the marketplace or the business area, or whether you deal with uh, with relationships, or whether you deal in contracts, or whether you deal in religion, if you can discern, which you should be able to, as you start growing in a little bit of spiritual depth and discipleship and maturity, you're going to be able to tell when you're dealing with an unsafe person. It's not that difficult. If you're with them just a few minutes, you can tell whether a person is is of the Lord, or if they're of the Satan. And if they're of Satan, they're unsaved, not born again, you're dealing with a person who is incapable of telling you the truth. Some of it may sound truthful, but the embedded in, in the foundation of it is going to be a lie. Because Jesus said in John eight forty four, he says, uh, and here he's speaking to this very point to the hypocrites. He says, ye, he's meaning, meaning those, but he speaks to us across the ages too. He says, ye are of your father to devil. This would be the unregenerated, the unsaved one. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Uses the word will do, not shall do, but you will do. In other words, they will do that because they have no other option to do that. Their will, which is part of their soul, has, is incapable of reaching and speaking ultimate truth. Like I said, they can say some things that are truthful, but a partial lie is the same thing as a lie. A little bit of truth is not the truth. When they're going to, they're going to will, they're going to make their will work to do evil. So the lust of your father will you, you will do and abiding in them, he says, there resides no truth in him. He was speaking about Satan's followers and particularly Satan himself. There's no truth in him. He's a, Jesus says he is a liar. Now, there's a difference between telling a lie and a liar. I'm sure you understand that. He says he is a liar. 
a person who tells a lie, sometimes they can slip, you know, or maybe you say it wrong or think it wrong, it comes out wrong. That happens to everyone in one time or the other, and hopefully we try to correct that when it happens. But it says, in Satan, he is a liar. That means he has in, he is incapable fully of telling any truth. And he goes on to say, and the father of it. In other words, everyone who is under his domination since Adam fell, they're no longer under the Christ, uh, God's admonition and leadership since Adam. They're now under the leadership and tutelage of satanic functioning. So they have no option, and it. In John chapter 8, Jesus to his disciples again, and of course is speaking to us, the, most of the truths in the Bible will be uh, applicable to uh, we who are in this generation. So he, in John 8, he's speaking to his disciples, but it does apply to you and me. He says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There shall is, it's not an absolute term, it's a contingent term upon actions and then working it out. And he's speaking to his disciples. So what we're saying is, you shall know, you shall know that, you I mean, you have, a, you have a way to let this uh, word that you're hearing, whatever that may be, translate into actions. Because that's what it has to do, really. Anything that, is operate on truth to the uh, Christian that becomes need to becomes an action word and become absolute. As we put it more into practice, it becomes absolute. He says, "Ye shall know." That means comprehend, be able to not only know it but to digest it and to rationalize it and then to speak it out. In other words, live it. You shall know the truth. That's the pure truth we speaking about with the article the. It will make. You free. Make there is a liberating word. Wow, how wonderful it is to tell the truth, even though it may be adverse, even though there may be consequences to it, even though it may have ad- adversity to it. You may be alienated because of it. You may be shunned because of it. But it will be a wonderfully liberated feeling. It, it, I, I, I was thinking about the uh, example. That, say you've been out gardening and you're, you're prosperous and... Uh, you're dirty and uh, and you're just a, a mess with with dirt. And you come in and you take a nice, refreshing shower and you put on fresh clothes. And you have that wonderful, liberated from the filth aspect. I don't know why this comes to me now, this thought. But people who like to go out and drive through mud and play in mud... They have a real serious problem. They they think it's just having fun with some vehicle or something, but it's in the nature of a person to want to be clean. They're, they're searching cleanliness, and there's so many compromises when people are not walking in truth to compromise that and, and get involved in these, well, dirty lifestyle, for the, for the lack of a better word in it. And it says, it will make you free. Now, that's a present tense word. It means to come alongside. Truth is going to bring that which comes alongside. And I was thinking, when, when I was looking at this, I was thinking that uh, a wonderful lead-in to come alongside, that's just another name for what Jesus called the, the divine paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who he, whom he would send to walk al- alongside of us. So we're not to walk in front of him. We're not to walk a step behind him. We're to walk in in 
rank and file with the Holy Spirit in relationship, in truth. And of course, that again, that's the Holy Spirit, and he's going to compliment Jesus. He's not going to do anything that will compliment, uh, not compliment the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I, I, I point out that, and I, I'm stressing this, because in all of these, it uses the article the. That's a declarative statement which has no supremacy to it, above it, rather. It's pure. It's supreme. It, it, it has no higher value is in, in, uh, involved when you co- uh, try to collate it with anything else. Here's an interesting point to, to continue building in this thought about uh, walking in truth and to walk in veracity, which is the title of this thought that we are developing, to walk in veracity, parenthetically truth, And when the Trinity began creating the universe and man, it did not slip upon men, upon him, that Adam would fall, renounce God, and select, allow Satan to become his leader and his his processor. God knew that man would become alien to him, and that the man would be incapable of telling the truth, as we pointed out in an un as an unsaved, fallen, unregenerated state. So God, knowing that, developed a wonderful attention-getting indicator in in its place because he couldn't get through the man in truth. So until he could get the provision for man to be able to hear the truth, he he set in, in the law of physics that which would prove operationally the same thing. And it's said in the law of physics to be an indicator of consequences. In other words, if you do something, other thing, other consequences have to happen, has to happen. And since we're speaking about the area of the unregenerated, they're going to be negative things for those who are not walking in truth nor seeking to walk in truth. As I said, they can't walk in truth and very little do they seek truth. And this uh, law of physics is called the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics. And this is really just a law which is, produces entropy. It's a law of decay. In other words, you start with something pure and it degrades. Example, you cut your yard. And for just a a short while, it looks beautiful in that it, it has that beautiful manicured look in this edge and the debris is blown away and, and the yard just looks impeccable. And yet, in just, a, in just a very short amount of time, it starts to look a little fuzzy at the top and then within two or three days, uh, certainly here in, in the southern tier, certain southern point, uh, this happens about every three, three days, three to four days. I mean, some people get by with it longer than that, but it doesn't look very good before you have to cut it again. And then the entropy starts immediately to set in. If you clean your home, it looks very good for a few days, and then all of a sudden, it looks exactly like it did before, the law of entropy. If you leave 
tools or equipment or automobiles or airplanes or ships or anything else in the weather out into uh, into the weather without being tended and properly cared for, it's going to start to rust. It's going to start to weather. Hoses will begin to uh, uh, degenerate. So then you won't get the use out of those that you normally could. There's people who are involved in sexual permissiveness, and they fall immediately under the second law of thermodynamics. Sexual permissiveness will probably bring it on as, uh, probably more quickly than, than most other things. Disease will be involved in that, such hein- heinous things as AIDS and other degenerating lifestyles and, and illnesses and diseases. fact is, they tell me, I don't know who the they are anymore. I can't remember who the they were I'm quoting. But the source that I remember said that one out of four people you pass by on the street have a communicable disease. And that's that's dangerous. And people out there are so free with their sex and they're so free with their attitude and their morals. Even morals, you know, it's subject to the law of decay. There's nothing that I can think of that is not Subject to decay when you not stop seeking truth and incapable of finding truth. Bestiality, sexual permissiveness in bestiality is, is a heinous crime and, command, and, and it is commanded not to even think about, let alone participate that to society. Yet people do get involved. You hear terrible stories about that. Adultery, fornication, all of these lifestyles. AIDS, sodomy, all of these things cause trauma to the soul. Adultery, it's its not a victimless crime. It tears apart families and it breaks uh, husband and wife. And there's always a, a trauma involved in that. The clandestine meeting may be short or long, but and and self gratifying, fleshly gratifying. However, trauma will proceed from that. Oh, did did I impregnate that one? Or will will who will find out? Who who particularly who maybe saw me, or saw us in that darkened area, or entering the motel or the hotel room? Who saw us together when we were dining and knew that we were not mates? So adultery has consequences to the mates. It has terrible consequences to the family. It brings, it causes dysfunctional families. Their families are torn apart. Children go to the winds, and normally they come out of that type of a situation jaded with uh, with wrong impressions. All these things are subject to the second law of thermodynamics, and I, as I said, it's difficult for me to think of one thing that operates in the sin world of the unregenerate world, unregenerated world too, that is not subject to the second law of thermodynamics because it's against God and anything that's not of truth is against God. It can't produce good if it's if it's against truth because the, we saw the foundation it is the truth. But there, I tell you, the good news is that there's a deliverance valve. There's an escape valve. There's a thing that, that you can, can happen in an individual where they can come to walk in the truth, parenthetically. Now, I could quote that out of Scripture. There, God has made provision for that. 
in, in Romans chapter 6, the Holy Spirit starts to developing this thought from Jesus through Paul, the apostle. In Romans 6, the Holy Spirit writes through him that we are buried with him. That means Christ-like. That means a just term. We are buried with him like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and, and King of your life and God's sacrifice for sin, immediately you accept him and his provisions and is to the glory of the Father. And you change fathers then. You change authority then. God becomes your authority once again. Well, actually, I was thinking in the pre-Adam fall days, but now since we are long after the fact of Adam's birth and sin, then we, we come from dead to life as we accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we, once we do that, a lot of times we, we have, and we certainly ought to have, it should be the next experience after a salvation experience, is to be baptized in water by submersion. I think that's the way because it's indicative of a death going down into the ground as Jesus was put into the tomb and raised. So we, when, are, when we come to Christ, we should be baptized. Symbolism of going down into the, his death and being raised to walk in newness of life. And when we do that, somebody said that the baptismal pool is the dirtiest water in the world. And it is in a way, but also it's a cleanse because God's purifying agent is there. So when we come up out of those baptismal pools and out of the being uh, our salvation experience, even before we get to the baptismal pool, we are a new creation in Christ and we're able to walk in a newness of life, walking in that newness of life. And therefore, when we walk in that newness of life, we are walking in Christ. We're walking in actually Christ was his anointing word. We're, we're walking not only in the word that was made flesh, Jesus the Christ, but we're walking in Jesus's anointing, and that's what's going to keep us afloat. It's anointing that breaks the yoke. And it's the wonderful thing is salvation that the good news, good news to those of you who are born again and listening to this as a discipleship tool to grow. And you can tell this to your friends, the young friends who are young in Christ and those that you're trying to win. Of course, you can't get it through to them if they're while they're still in an unsafe state un, when they're unregenerated. But as soon as they're born again, uh, then you can get through because now their mind is able to perceive it and understand it. That when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment that that salvation process takes place, it you are a one is immediately free from the second law of thermodynamics. That no more functions in a Christian's life, in a born again person, a redeemed person's life through the blood of Jesus Christ. No more do you have to say, "If I had only," you don't have any of those. If I had onlys, you find liberty. In the soul, and the soul, of course, is the mind, the will, and the emotions. One moment you're plagued by the evil and, and the incapability of speaking truth and seeking truth, and you accept Christ, and the next moment your mind is renewed, your will is renewed, your emotions are renewed. You, you can, your mind thinks godly things instead of, you think upward now instead of downwardly. Your will, you have the will to will yourself to uh, 
to believe God and to believe him to help you and provide for you and to bless you and to to cause you to grow and mature and to give you provisions in your life. Your emotions, you're not plagued by the emotions. Now, rationally and pragmatically, there normally will come a time in a young believer's life that they'll still be plagued by some of the problems with these things, but they don't have to yield to those any longer. Maybe a drunkard. I've heard of drunk, people who were drunkards having no more at all desire for alcohol, and that's wonderful. But there are people who sometimes the smell of it will, will be a drawing tool, but they don't have to yield to that. People who smoke cigarettes and tobacco, they they can smell that, and it might be a drawing for a moment, but yet they can move on beyond that very quickly, and soon those things will not even be a temptation for them anymore. Other things may. People who come out of more deep lifestyles, such as, such as drugs, God can cure the drug problem in just a, a moment. You can be free from being an addict. You can, from perversions and addictions and Pornography, all of those things, and these are so rampant, so very rampant in our society today. It's almost commonplace. And homosexuality, which I, our ministry terms sodomy, it is a, an awful lifestyle. People who engage in that, our ministry, our heart breaks for those people who live that kind of lifestyle. We we love the sinner, but we do we do not abide their sin. We can't abide their sin and give no credence to it. And I think it was a shameful time when the United States Supreme Court gave credence to that. And now companies, many companies that used to be reputable, now they're embracing that. And companies are openly contributing to that lifestyle. They're having days for that lifestyle. But I tell you, God, God's going to punish this and is punishing this United States because we've chosen these kinds of things in our midst and he'll allow us to do that. But I, I testify to you that I have never seen a happy sodomite. Oh, they might have a, a smile on their face and they may be propagating their lifestyle and, and the choices that they're making. But embedded within that is misery and shame and they know it's wrong up until a point when their conscience becomes seared and they can no longer hear truth, the truth, and they continue to go on in that. Another thing about being free from the second law of thermodynamics through the salvation spirit is that your emotions are, oh, it's a wonderful life to find the peace, the, the peace of God that a Christian can walk in. And I know that the term Christian is thrown away around today and a lot of people who exhibit no semblance of being a, a Christian or really are. So maybe we need to use the term those who are regenerated by through the blood of Jesus Christ and, and born again from above can know the peace. Their emotions, they, they no longer have the aggressive lifestyle. The, the, it cures the road rage in them. It cures the alienation of family problems when the husband has to be a tyrant in the home and the children are deathly afraid of the father or the mother or both of them. Marriage has become harmonious. Instead of being a battleground inside the home and the relationship between husband and wife becomes a wonderful, wonderful relationship 
lesbians who marry one another, sodomites who marry one another. They're not going to ever know that. They may say, oh, we have a wonderful, loving relationship. That's a lie. They don't. And they never can because it's against God. It's against the law, the truth of God. But a harmonious marriage, which should only be between a man and a woman who commit to each other for life, only to each other, who doesn't, who doesn't, not looking out of the corner of their eye for another experience. And that's not going to happen to one who's been freed from the second law through thermodynamics. There may be a slight temptation, but temptation is not sin. The children will have a harmonious home environment in which to live. And the home environment with the parents and the children will be a, a wonderful, sharing, loving experience, one with the other. Another benefit I'm thinking about would be financial security. When you're freed from that, you won't have a credit card that's out of balance. All It's never been able to pay it off. There are some people who charge as much as they can, knowing that they'll never pay it off, hoping they can get with the IRS or they can get with the, the company and say, well, if you want your money, I'll give you 10 cents on the dollar or 50 cents on the dollar if they want to be generous. But they never intend to, intend to pay it off. And a Christian can't operate that way. You just cannot operate that way. You need to have control of your finances. You cannot make obligations beyond which you're prepared to satisfy. I'm thinking about the, uh, the, the peace of mind. The, the part of my testimony is this. Early in, in my life, I, I would, I, in my, even in my Christian life, I would, if somebody asked me to do something around the church or in, a, in some type of service way, I would say, oh, yeah, I can do that. I'll be there. And all of a sudden I realized I, I, it's really inconvenient for me to be there. I really don't want to be there. I don't want to be doing that. I committed too quickly. And then I, uh, I finally learned that I had to do a, a lot of things that I really did not want to do because I too quickly committed. And so I, I learned to be more guarded in my, in my word to a person, my commitment to a person. I would, and if I committed, I just wouldn't say to that person later, well, I'm sorry, I can't make it, you know, too, too bad about that, find somebody else. I would have to go to that person and say, look, I have a conflict of scheduling or a problem. And I really, or I just really don't want to do that. Will you please excuse me? And I, I don't think I've ever had one person say, "No, I'm not going to excuse you. You got to, you got to go with us." No, we don't carry guns on people. Most everybody, I, I think, I can't think of anybody who didn't say, "Oh yeah, sure, that's okay. We, we'll be good to have you." But, but that's all right. You're excused from that. And there's a, there's a peaceful bliss in the soul and in the spirit once you operate like that. Once you're free from the second law of thermodynamics and the ramifications of it, you're, you're subject to divine healing. Now, the, the center is too, but that comes through the processing of the church. But you, you as an individual believer in Jesus Christ has avenues available to you where you can be subject to divine healing. Now, I'm not saying divine health. That's down the road a ways. Another teaching, but divine healing, absolutely. And you don't need a priest. You don't need a, a guru. You don't need anybody else. You can go directly to God. If you search the Bible, you can you can find avenues of how to do that. And prayerfully, your minister is teaching you these things. Prayerfully, you're going to a full gospel fellowship the others they, that's not full gospel, they, they, they do wonderful things as the salvation experience, and they do f pretty well in the discipleship, but they can't get through to the truth in this ultimate because that's reserved for the full word. So if you're not in that kind of a uh, of church, 
fellowship. Maybe since you're hearing this tape, it may be time to do a little research in this area and of the Bible and find out what's available because there's so much available. As a matter of fact, our ministry, Rafa, has to do with uh, with just that. It's a, it's a name for God, Jehovah Rapha. He's the healer. He is the one who brings health into our flesh, into us. Another freedom is freedom from incidental problems. Freedom from incidental problems. I, I, I was thinking of a story in my history by word of testimony to you. I know I was, back in the days when I used to do a lot of flying, I don't fly as much as I used to anymore. But my mother had been vacationing with, with family and friends up in North Carolina, in the area of Lumberton, North Carolina. And I was to go pick her up, and I elected just to, instead of driving up there, just to take a little four-place airplane, a little Cessna 172, and go up there. And I don't know why my brother was with me, but he was, and he he, he rode along with me up there. So we, we went up uneventfully and got to uh, Lumberton, and we landed and had some visitation time with my extended family and relationships and some friends. And so we got in the aircraft. It was getting later in the afternoon. And we took off from uh, Lumberton and Florence, uh, South Carolina, is just a few miles to the south-southwest of there. So we went over to Florence and then we turned due south toward Charleston, South Carolina, intending to go from Florence to Charleston to Savannah to Jacksonville, which we uh, from where we left, I was living in Jacksonville. So when we got over Florence and I headed south, everything was just fine. And I, I elected just to fly down to 2,500 feet. That gave us a little good view of the countryside for my mother. She she didn't fly. So this was kind of a treat for her. And my brother, he's a pilot. Uh, so it was kind of like a postman's walk for him. But we we were just sitting there and had been talking for a while. And the, and the, the cockpit had grown quiet. And when we got to Charleston, it was late in the afternoon. The sun was low in the uh, horizon, and from a turning to about from about a southerly heading, I turned to a little bit south southwesterly heading towards Savannah, and now I could no longer see out of the uh, the front of the airplane through the canopy, and there I could see nothing because of the glare. It was completely blind in that area, so basically I was just flying the airplane on instruments. My brother was looking out the right side of the aircraft. My mother was looking out the right side of the aircraft or napping. I don't know what she was doing, maybe just napping or thinking. And I was looking out the left side because I couldn't see. And we were down low, as I said, 2,500 feet. And as we passed over Charleston and turned towards Savannah to probably about a 210-degree heading for I didn't even recognize. I have no reek, no no compulsion to do it. It was not a conscious thought. Just it was an involuntary action. I just simply eased back with my fingertips on the yoke just a bit and climbed the aircraft very slowly from 2,500 feet to 2,750 feet and just let it settle there. No reason for doing that whatsoever. And as I leveled off, I was looking down out of my left window, and in a flash, at 2,500 feet, just below us, going in the opposite direction, was a light twin-engine aircraft. And it happened so quickly, I didn't even have time to get startled. 
it was there and it was gone just that quickly in in a fraction of a moment because our closure rate would have been probably around somewhere around four four fifty uh, knots and I looked at my brother he hadn't seen anything I glanced back out of the corner of my eye at my mother she had of course hadn't seen anything and I was not even I didn't even have any adrenaline pumping so. I elected not even to say anything. I didn't want to cause him any alarm, you know, or make him think about anything. So I just kept it quiet. And I didn't even, I don't know if I ever told my mother about it or not, but I did tell many, many years, many, many years later, I did relate the story to my my brother in another environment. And how does this relate to you? How many times have you been going the same way, had maybe headed home or to business, and suddenly you felt, I think I'll just take a different direction today. I think instead of going this way, I'm just going to turn down here, you know, just, just as a change of view, change of scenery. And you did. And when you got home, you heard that there had been a heinous wreck or a crime that was right on your route that you very, very well may have been involved in that. And you thought, well, at the, maybe at that time you thought, oh, I was so lucky I didn't get involved. No, I think you were in the hands of angels. There's so many other cases like that, decisions you didn't make that turned out could, that could have been terrible if you had made those, and yet God led you to a different direction. As I begin to bring this, bring this thought to a close, I'm going to refer to John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, and Jesus here is speaking to disciples. This this little passage of Scripture cannot apply to an unsaved person, only to a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if, that's a contingent word based upon actions, if you continue, that means life process, in my word, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Indeed, there means truly walking in that. You learn to walk in that. You learn the process. And this is one of the things I pray out of this message, this, this teaching you've elected to pull up through Rafa, is that you will gain these truths and it will become uh, walkable, calling the new word, operative, functional in your life. And you shall then know the truth, using the article the, and the truth shall, that's by God's grace through your face. Remember, you, you can't do anything in your own strength. Even as a Christian, you can't live the Christian life. You can't walk the Christian walk. You can't do the Christian thing. You can't find truth, even though it's available, except God gives you that. He says, by God's grace, you shall, it shall, that processing. Is, you don't come to maturity in Christ from an infant immediately. It's a process. It may take shorter time for some and others. It shall make you free. You free. And the free there, again, is that liberating term. The more you walk in this and learn to apply this into your life and let it become a way of life to you, what we've talked today, I would encourage you to listen to this teaching a number of times because I guarantee you, you will find other things that you have not heard in this. You may want to get you a copy of this if you're listening to this on the Internet. If you've seen this and, and you've received a CD, continue to listen. Uh, listen to it in your car. If you're listening on the MP3, listen to it many, many times. God will give you new revelation in it. It'll make you free. It'll liberate you. And also, it will make you exempt. And that's what we're talking about. 
my little airplane story and your your trip story. It'll make you free. It's just been a wonderful delight to have you choose this particular teaching on walking in veracity, which means just walking parathetically in truth, learning to walk in that. I suggest to you and I would recommend to you that you just go to our website, which is rafaministriesworld.com. That's rafaministriesworld.com. I think there you will find additional things that will be a blessing to you, our books and the other ministers' works that are available, which will help you grow in Christ and fortify your faith. If you'd like to look up our email address, address that's uh, there's a lot of the things on there available just for just for free if you'd like to do that. Our email address is rafainternational at comcast.net. That's Rafa International, spelled out, at Comcast.net. And again, if you want to go to the YouTube, you can find a lot of things there. And you can find our YouTube under Lee West Ministry. Lee West Ministry. There's a lot of free things there. Our Bible Answer Man program is there free for you. There's other topical things that will be there for you. So I would encourage you to do that. Continue to grow in God. Continue to let the Holy Spirit guide you. Re-listen to this truth. Search us out. Maybe you'll find some other things that will be a particular blessing to you. Until next time, we meet either in person in our seminars or teachings or on some media uh, type. I just pray that God will bless you richly.